Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You will die only to live again in a younger body. Then you can tell me if the operation was a success. I could easily kill you now, but I'm determined to have your brain. You're listening to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of genre cinema. From our downtown Toronto headquarters, here's episode 429 of the Really Awful Movies Podcast. Megaboa. When you look at the nature run amok, uh, animal attack, horror genre, I think this thesis that I have is fairly sound in that across most species, you can pluck out, I think, one or two really decent, if not borderline classic films. So like by way of example, if you threw out like, let's say gators, well, you could take the uh, John Sayles, I think written uh, alligator from, uh, I believe it was 1980. And then you could also throw in Alexandra Aja's Crawl, which is pretty good uh, about a swimmer uh, who's the daughter of a swim coach who finds herself trapped in a flooded basement with a gator and it's quite good of its type and you could also throw in the Aussie slow burn horror called Rogue which is actually not half bad and pretty decent and people have nice things to say about Lake Placid though I uh, revisited it lately and it, it, it's cheesy but it's it's kind of fun as well so right there you have two and a half at least semi good movies and of course the uh shark subgenre of horror has become its own uh, cottage industry of sorts with even hybridizations like sharktopus and dino shark and everything just going batty with that one but when you think about it like the uh, apotheosis of killer fish movies is undoubtedly Steven Spielberg's Jaws that's obviously a killer but you could throw in the likes of a piranha which is really good so you have a couple of arguable top 50 all-time horror films in that one and hell even something like a killer bear movie uh, you have people like grizzly from 1976 kind of a corny 70s style animal attack movie that is very of the time but if you look into the immediate more current rearview mirror you can look at something like a backcountry which is really expertly crafted and a really really well done tense solid psychological horror and i've yet to see cocaine bear but i don't think it really follows along the um the strict uh, linear lines of a, of a horror movie per se throw in the likes of cujo which is a fondly well highly respected and uh, highly regarded in in for for canines if the likes of dogs maybe not so much so and uh you know, for cats, you have uh, uninvited and, and all these kinds of things. Uh, there's probably a better one, but I can't uh, think of it off the top of my head. Oh, Roar, maybe, if you want to stick feline A under one uh, large group. But Roar from 1981 is a very, very crazy film and, and wild and amazing. And Hitch is The Birds. God, the eponymous Birds, uh, the best Birds movies, of course, The Birds. Snakes, not so much. Uh, the nature run amok snake category has not been a, a good one and uh, we can uh, cast our minds back to s and that's seven s's people it's a, a killer snake movie from the 70s uh, i, I want to say it's 1976 that's that's the period around which a lot of these th films were released like day of the animals and, and whatnot it was just such a 
such a uh, you know uh, uh, thrilling time for this uh, kind of uh, nature run amok film, especially when uh, Greenpeace was coming to prominence and uh, care for Mother Earth and Gaia and whatnot, whatever you want to call it. The green movement was really coming into effect, and a lot of these films had an underpinning of uh, concern for the environment. Now you know, fast forward 20 years from and you get the Anaconda films, also not great and uh, snakes on a plane and uh, just a uh, anaconda spawned a lot of, of sequels none of which were particularly good nor was anaconda so when you have to pick and, and obviously the sample size for rabbits is far too small but like um, uh, the, there's an easter bunny horror and there's a night of the lepus um, uh, I, I, the, the name escapes me of the, the bunny horror but there's maybe like three or four killer bunny horrors around and you can't you know again the sample size is too small to make any definitive declaration about you know, what whether you could pluck a all-time classic out of uh, from from that species but really uh, snakes really really bad especially considering how many killer snake movies there are now mega boa uh, which some sounds like some sort of big drag show or something, but this is not one that's going to sway any detractors, at least if you adhere to my uh, thesis put forward here, that this is really not uh, a great uh, genre of uh, nature run amok. But at the very least, what you do get is Eric Roberts, who's just become a, like a king of bad movies all of a sudden. From I think he was in uh, The Dark Knight, but uh, Runaway Train with John Voight. He's been in some really dynamite movies, and then he's just in like... You know, uh, straight to streaming purgatory films, lots of bad action movies, lots of stuff we uh, chronicled in our book, Mine's Bigger Than Yours, 100 Wackiest Action Movies. Like he's just a, you know, he's if he were more prolific, he'd be Cameron Mitchell, really. And he's estranged from, or mostly, I think, estranged from his sister Julia, but I think, you know, they've rekindled things. He's the father of, I think, Emma Roberts as well. If I'm not mistaken, or the, it's just so funny because she works so infrequently and her movies are always well attended and his movies are like the opposite. <laughs> so it's pretty funny how the sibling rivalry is playing itself out. But he, he plays this anthropologist, Dr. Malone, and anthropologists is such a, I mean, it's the most overrepresented profession in all of horror because after all, who would... Who better to explain, you know, uh, cannibals and, and, and supernatural mumbo jumbo than someone who's an anthropologist who can, you know, talk about mythical practices and help uh, protagonists uh, deal with the great unknown. So he, he plays this and, you know, he, he oversees this team of grad students. It's almost like a cannibal holocaust or something. And they're just wandering through the uh, jungles and uh, they come upon this poacher who's wild-eyed and has quite a story to tell. Now, it's so funny how you'd have an anthropologist, but you wouldn't consider in any way discussing what the anthropologist is on this tropical island to study. I mean, I'm curious. I'm an intellectually curious guy. I would want to know what they're doing, but they're just basically roaming around. At one point, they do inspect a cave, and they do a little bit of late film spelunking, but I'm not sure to the extent they're cultural anthropologists and looking around to see how the natives in the in the area live because there are no natives in this area so I don't, I'm not sure the extent or the why of their mission or what university is, is funding this although they, I think they mentioned some sort of mock Colombian institution of uh, very little uh, not entirely August uh, renown so 
yeah, he oversees this the team, and he's actually quite good. I mean, I, I have a certain fondness for Eric Roberts. He's he's clearly enjoying himself here, you know, chewing the scenery, and and he does have a, a, a neat relationship with this uh, one of his uh, grad students named Benji. Who's this uh, little uh, Indian American woman who's very charming in her own right, and they, they sort of have this uh, bonding when uh, the Doctor Malone character. Uh, I, I believe he gets bitten by this mysterious tropical spider and, and this almost turns into like a, you know, uh, uh, some sort of uh, film noir. What, what is that, DOA, that film from the 50s where he has like 36 hours to try and get the antidote for this poison. And so that comes into play as well because in addition to having to deal with this killer snake and uh, some of the artwork talks about how it's a 50-foot snake, which 50 foot is alliterative, so that's why they do it. But in the movie, there's constant references to 60 feet for some reason. Like, I don't know how you can make such a determination. And there's also references to the biggest snake ever recorded or captured, which is apparently 40 feet for all those concerned or all those who care. But yeah, constant weird references to 60 foot snake. And this is the same snake as one that dispatched the poaching partner of one Joaquim, who they meet in the middle of the jungle, who's distressed after seeing his best friend eaten and, and asphyxiated in front of his eyes. Uh, they connect and they bond, and uh, Joaquin has a lot of firepower, so they find it's mutually beneficial to trying to survive the jungle. And this is really what this is all about, just a bunch of people on, a, uh, on an academic uh, mission of uh, nebulous origin, wandering around, the jungle with this, you know, criminal and uh, being attacked at every turn by various creatures. I mean, at one point there's some sort of like giant uh, scorpion, and uh, there's this, some sort of mysterious lab from the 1950s conducting all these experiments and uh, mythical. Uh, legends about this oversized snake that uh, they come upon in this cave and uh, the, the denouement involves the natives being able to uh, somehow render this, uh, this being or bring it under their control. So uh, really there's a lot of just uh, stretches of character development which is quite compelling but also kind of a cheesy CG of this uh, giant asphyxiating snake and uh, yeah not exactly the most uh, shall we say, compelling or effective uh, special effects I've ever seen rendered on screen. But by the same token, uh, this is something that is a 2 out of 10 or thereabouts uh, for all the scant hundreds of reviews this has gotten on IMDb. And it should be said that for a film this poorly regarded, it's actually not too, too bad. And I should say as well that when I'm flipping through the credits on Amazon Prime and you're, when you know you're watching a really bad movie that has very little renown and very little uh, of a cast a very very small shadow in terms of reach and in terms of uh, audience, uh, the principals and the stars are known when when you pull up their bios for this movie and other ones. So you'd think you know like if you're watching. I don't know, Goodfellas, and you pull up uh, Joe Pesci, you don't see Joe Pesci of Goodfellas. You see Joe Pesci from other movies, because you know he's done tons of other movies, and you don't need to say Goodfellas. So I thought that was kind of funny there, too. Uh, a cast of unknowns who acquit themselves, for the most part, relatively well, and they it's very female-friendly, uh, too. So you have one who's a West Point grad. I didn't know women graduated from, I th isn't that, if I'm not mistaken, that's the Marine training ground for... 
the American uh, military. I, I don't know. I, th I think it is. It's some. It could be Navy SEAL. I don't know enough about it, but it sounds important. So she's a. She's seen combat. She's a veteran of Iraq, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I, I also like another thing I learned here: the kind of ordinariness of the people in this one. So there's no central casting starlets taking you out of the proceedings. No real lookers or real stunners to uh, just be nakedly and conspicuously eye candy, no nudity. I think it works in this film's favor here because they could have taken the exploitation route and gone that way, but uh, lots of things are so, sort of fun about this one and it's, it's light-hearted, silly, stupid stuff, but it also has its smarts and they, there's quite uh, energized uh, dialogue, which I think sets it apart. Uh, I really, really dig Eric Roberts, uh, you know, when uh, he was in this awful Mickey Rourke vehicle called Skin Traffic. He, he's just in so many most unbelievably bad movies, but it's really weird when you think about it, because like Eric Roberts, like he, he was in Star 80, he was in the Pope of Greenwich Village, again, the aforementioned runaway train, just really high caliber efforts, and then as you go through his filmography, it's amazing the extent to which none of his films are even written up, and how he just appears more often than not with the likes of a Tom Arnold and, and these real sort of C-lister nobodies. It's, it's wild to think about, and it just goes to show that uh, you can be on top of the world one minute and then suddenly disappear the next. Uh, I was just uh, thinking as I was doing uh, some research today for my, uh, you know, uh, journalism job and there's a sports nutrition drink called BioSteel that is seeking creditor protection and BioSteel supplanted Gatorade as the official hydration partner of the NHL so they're like a, a big brand, a big beverage brand that has synced its fortunes to not only a bunch of NHL teams I think six or seven of them, if I'm not mistaken, but also individual stars of the league, but other sports as well. It's just wild. You think one moment you're in and the next moment you're just resolutely gone and, and you're just, you know, disappeared from view entirely. And it's just unbelievable. Like, Eric Roberts, like he's, you know, even there was a time when he even played himself to give uh, certain movies a boost, but now he'd be hard-pressed. Like, he's just so, like, just off off the path and off off uh, in 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 a wilderness unto himself uh it, it's funny when i was reading up the uh director mario boniston and uh there's a, a knowledge panel that was uh, uh i think through uh through google some of the one of the first things that comes up and it said he's best known for uh alien conquest nazi overlord megaboa and la vie en robes and like what i thought there had to be someone you know, making like, uh, you know, making fun of him or something. But sure enough, he did work, uh, he got his bones, I think, doing art direction or cinematography or something. So I forget what for La Vie Rose. It's just wild to go from Edith Piaf to Killer Snakes. And, you know, well, I guess obviously Alien Conquest is up, up his alley because, you know, that this is another effort that he, he directed. And I've not seen that, but I'm almost keen to. And, uh, uh, to check out more of his work, because I mean, this one is super fun, and I have a I have a certain soft spot for uh, you know uh, ridiculous uh, nature run amok horror films. I mean, there even uh, I'm thinking of one called Rage, which features uh, just a wacky premise of having killer attack vultures, which is strange because vultures eat carrion, and so they're not like you know birds of 
prey that go capture their prey. They eat dead things. So it was a very strange conceit. But, you know, I, I remember seeing uh, the birds as a, as a kid, and my parents were huge Hitchcock buffs. So I went through the entire catalog of Hitch early on, and I really uh, f think very highly of that movie. And then uh, early on, I really did. And even something like a, a Piranha, The Spawn, or a Piranha 3D, I mean, you know, the, these... Joe Dante is just like he's a fun director so you take like a killer fish movie and and it's just like it, it should be a schlock fest but there's a certain uh, you know a, a certain smarts that come with uh, having a you know a John Sayles Joe Dante uh, uh, collab and it's super cool so like I've loved these movies for a really long time and I remember very early on reading about the likes of alligator and also reading about the urban legend associated with gators growing up in the in the sewers of New York City because people ha go to some you know uh, nefarious uh, pet you know unscrupulous pet shop and buy some sort of thing and then they flush it down the toilet I, I love that kind of stuff and uh, nature run amok movies are the ones that are most likely to entice me if they're bad like I, I have very little patience and time for like let's say for example a really bad PG uh, supernatural film with some Ouija board or something like that like I don't have the time for uh, ghost storytelling of, of you know but my god uh, for the most part I'm, I'm on board with the bad nature run amok animal attack flicks unless they're meant to be uh, tongue-in-cheek right from the get-go but if they're if they're played for uh, seriousness instead of for yucks, then I'm on board. I'm not a fan of the Sharknados or the Sharktopus uh, kinds of movies because they're always played for like just cheap laughs and they're meant to be laughed at and when something's meant to be laughed at it's generally not funny and it doesn't entertain you across any front. I'm really not a fan of those Sharknado movies and and their star high and zeroing, but yeah, for for the most part, I mean, it's a it's a junk subgenre. This is kind of a junky movie, but I'm I'm kind of all about them. I mean, I'm really fond of Killer Crocodile. It's just a, such an absurd movie, and uh, L'Ultimo Squalo, The Last Shark, is just a wonderfully goofy Italian ripoff of, of Jaws. I mean, there's so many of these just nutbar movies, and the, the thing that I think really could have improved, and here's another thing I learned, uh, to improve the fortunes of uh, Megaboa, I want to say Megabus, it's a... It's like a competitor to Greyhound in North America. Megaboa, Megaboa. Uh, I think that could have really uh, improved this one is having a lot more practical effects because there's an over-reliance on CG. And I think uh, had there been uh, you know, one of these choice body finds moments with like a good rotting corpse and some good maggots and some solid practical effects work, and even if you just did a, a, the head of a snake just to show how vast the thing is, but keep it sort of obscured a la Bruce in, uh, in Jaws, I think this would have gone a really long way because, uh, you know, the, the, the CGI is laughable in parts and having this uh, thing be a boa constrictor is not the most... Uh, I think it's much more visceral and impactful to imagine something leaping out and biting you rather than uh, squeezing you to death. So I think you know, making it sort of a python-esque snake is not nearly as effective as making something with venom, which is weird because venom plays a part with, with a spider bite, but not through the snake. So I think a, like an asp or an adder or like a quick bite snake might have been interesting, but if you want to go for the sheer size and whatnot and, and go the anaconda route, then um, I think uh, there could have been a lot more done with, uh, with again, the, the, the bodies that this thing is leaving in its wake. And I, I thought that too, because at the beginning of the uh, film, you're, um, 
the uh, filmmaker uh, teases uh, this Mario Bonison, the director. He teases the uh, the flight of some wild boars, and, and obviously there's a giant predator in uh, in the mix. But the thing is, like every apex predator, for the most part, will prey on a wild boar. So and they're they're not the most. I mean, it's just a pig you see out in in wilderness somewhere. So it's not particularly overly impactful that this thing would be fleeing like it's not as as much but if you were to see their corpses and then if, if something say would have been swallowed in one bite and then expelled or something I think think they could have done a little bit more with uh, that element there's also this uh, subplot about finding this uh, lotus flower which can work as a, some sort of makeshift ad hoc uh, you know um, poison antidote I don't even know I didn't even research that I mean the the this is, these kinds of films are really the antithesis of research, and you don't want to suck the joy out of them by pointing out all the flaws. And I think the best ones of their type are the ones that really have an undercurrent of uh, you don't mess with nature, but also have some kind of uh, really, really good uh, science-y type dis discussions. And I think that should be said about this one. is like there's some chat by Dr. Malone, uh, you know, the Eric Roberts character about thermo uh, thermo pools and how they they uh, they can eat away at the skin and there is some pretty good uh, pretty good scientific blather if you want to call it that and I think this movie has a lot more to commend it than I think people give it credit for so it's is really quite obscure even in the snake genre which is already obscure anaconda accepted but this one is really uh, yeah, I mean, 2 out of 10, I think that's a little bit uh, savage by people on IMDb. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this one a, a solid 2.5 out of 5. Super fun, especially as, as we head into the fall. Just, uh, you know, I wanted to uh, tackle this style of movie and just really shake up the number of genres I really uh, am interfacing with as I continue to record episodes of the podcast. Hope you enjoyed this one, and uh, we shall talk to you soon. Take care. Thank mm -hmm. you.